0: three four three three four come thou fount of every blessing oh god you may not be like the juicer but you are the fountain of living water and so now lord as we draw from it we pray that you would quench our thirst, and where there is no thirst, that you would spark a thirst within us for who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. Um, this morning, did, any, did all of you guys get the study guides that we tried to hand out before you walked in this morning? If not, I, I see that the deacons are handing those out, and actually, can I get one of those myself? And uh, some of you have told me That you like these study guides, and that you like them so much that you try to guess what's on them before I get to it. And as I was telling Kim, I'm I'm trying to make them harder, (laughs) just for fun. Uh, This morning we are, uh, this month of March, there's just going to be some pretty exciting things happening. Uh, Next week we are going to be having the choir from La Sierra Academy. The choir and band, I'm not, I can't remember exactly the, the who, but it's going to be a ton of students, so our, our church is going to be packed, and um, they're going to be performing for us, and so it's going to be a really nice event. We're going to have some really good music, and um, and so that's going to be awesome, and then I'm going to have the sermon for the day. Uh, the following week, we are having some a couple of our own church members are going to be sharing with us the, a little bit of their testimony of just what God is doing with them, and then I'll come up and I'll... I'll close that up. So there's some pretty, pretty exciting things happening. Through the month of March, what we're going to be focusing on um, is the word grace. So for the month of March, we're going to be looking at the word grace. And the reason we're doing this is because our vision statement, our new vision statement, our new direction for this church is through grace becoming faithful followers of Jesus. And my elders, the people whom you have elected— whom I have chosen to uh, listen to when they speak, I listen. And they told me on our retreat about a month and a half ago, they said we need to make sure that we get the point across that grace is of central importance for our faith. And so grace is what we will be looking at. And so when we look at the word grace, grace is a church word that basically means you get a gift when you don't deserve it. Grace is not a word that we generally tend to hear outside of the local church. Now, there was a famous rock band, uh, whatever band, they're Christians in a band, and there's a song titled Grace, and it says, grace is the name of a girl. That's where we hear it usually, but it's also something that changed the world. And so grace is a word that we tend to use in churches often, but it's a word that says you get a gift that you don't really deserve. Grace is you getting a second chance every time that you mess up. I don't know about you, but when I have been hurt, when I have been harmed, betrayed, um, whatever, when something bad has been done to me, I don't tend to like to give the person a second chance, do you? No, because you don't want to get hurt again. You don't want the same thing that happened to you before for you to happen again. And yet grace, this thing that changes the world, this thing that Jesus has for us, he allows us to keep coming back to him even after you have sinned. Now, let me say this. Have you ever committed a sin? And it it doesn't matter what it is. Maybe you knew you were going to do it or you kind of just fell into it. But you've committed some sort of sin. And then you know that you should probably ask for forgiveness when that guilt begins to set in. You guys all know what I'm talking about, right? But have you ever said, but... I'm not ready to ask for forgiveness yet, because you know you're wrong. Why would God want to forgive you? And yet it's true. Grace means that you you get the gift of forgiveness, even though you are the one that sinned, even though you may have committed this sin a hundred times, Jesus is still willing to forgive you. Now, here's a story for you. My first year in college, I moved out of my parents' house to another one of my parents' houses, but they weren't living with us anymore. And so I had this immense, um, not immense, just this, I guess, immense amount of freedom. When you go to college, you leave your parents' house, and all of a sudden, I was almost 18, so I had all of this freedom that I had never had before. I had my own car. I didn't have a curfew anymore. My brother didn't care what time I came home. My sister didn't care because that's who I lived with. And it was just kind of like, wow, I can do anything I want to. So the first week that I go to school at La Sierra University, I had to go to the bookstore to spend my life savings on books. I walk in, and I notice that there's a table to the side, like just to the side of the entrance, and there was people that I'd never seen before. They weren't part of the school, and they had these applications in front of them, and in front of these applications, there was these free gifts that they were giving away. I don't know what they were. So I looked. I kept walking kind of like, you know, when you see a joke. Never mind. That was a bad joke. Um, like. I'll say later. Um, and so I just kind of walk by, like, whatever. I don't want what you're selling. Well, then I come out and they approach me and they're like, "Hey, you know those books are expensive, aren't they?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, they're pretty expensive. Don't you wish there was a way you could pay for them without having to pay for them all at once?" Seventeen-year-old lived in my parents' house my whole life. Um, I was like, "Yeah, you know, if you sign up for this credit card, we can probably get you a pretty good interest rate." Meant absolutely nothing to me. Um, And you could pay for your car, you pay for your books now, and you work a payment plan to pay it off. I'm like, good idea. So I signed up for all of them. There's like three of them, I don't know. (laughs) I was doing pretty well because I thought anybody can afford a $15 minimum payment. I didn't know what I was doing. And, um, and so I remember one time, I, I just, this was before you could go onto the internet to pay everything, or before I knew that you could do that, okay? So I'm not that young, but we didn't have internet. And so I forgot to pay, because no one has stamps and envelopes to send a check through the mail. I, I was 17 years old. I forgot to pay, because I used to get money orders. And then I get another letter, like, in my statement, and they actually, yeah, they called me, and then they tell me that there was, like, a $35 late fee for not paying on time. I was like, what, what? Like, No grace. There was no grace period for me. It was you missed it and now you owe us more money. You see, we live in a world where as Christians, and even if you're not a Christian but you're here because someone invited you, whatever the reason you're here, we live in a world where we see this word grace and we know it's supposed to mean something good, but we live in a world where we don't see grace anywhere. If we're in school, teachers don't usually let you turn an assignment in late, do they? And if they do, they usually dock you points, right? Not really any grace. When you go to work, do you get if you are scheduled to start at 8 o'clock, but you show up at 8.15, do they just, you know, well, do they pay you for those 15 minutes you were late? No, you have to make them up at the end of the day, right? And so the reality is that we live in a world where although we preach about grace and we talk about grace, it's not really real because even in your relationships, husbands and wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, if you have been wronged by the other person and you tell them, nah, I forgive you, is there a chance that that might come up in the future? (laughs) Like when you got to just pull it out of your back pocket and be like, but do you remember this? So even in the relationships that are supposed to be the very best in our life, grace is nowhere to be found. Which is what makes it so difficult for you and I as Christians, as Seventh-day Adventists, to really understand the concept of grace, which is you get a gift even though you don't deserve it. Now, I was having a conversation with somebody this week, and, I, and, and God, God said this, but he used me to say it. Um... And I told this person, you may not feel worthy for what God has done for you, but God thinks you're valuable enough to lay down his life for you. So you may not feel worthy, but God obviously values you deeply to lay his life down for you. That is grace. I want to read to you a story. I need you to read it with me, not out loud, but I need you to follow with me so it makes sense. A prostitute came to me, not my story from a book, a prostitute came to me in wretched straits, homeless, sick, unable to buy buy food for her two-year-old daughter. Through sobs and tears, she told me she had been renting her her daughter out, two years old, to men interested in kinky sex. She made more renting out her daughter for an hour than she could earn on her own in a night. She had to do it, she said, to support her drug habit. I could hardly bear hearing her sordid story. For one thing, it made me legally liable. I'm required to report cases of child abuse. I had no idea what to say to this woman. At last, I asked if she had ever thought of going to a church for help. I will never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried. Why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They just make me feel worse. In a world where grace is scarce, as a church that believes in the God who dispenses grace freely, what is the message that we are giving to the world around us? I like how Karen this morning Which, by the way, I'm going to put her on the preaching rotation from now on. But I love how it's true. Are you enthusiastic about the Jesus who has saved you, forgiven you, and allows you to have a new life? Or has Jesus just become the thing you know, the thing you talk about, the thing you know all the right answers to, but it stopped transforming and shaping your life? I have a really good friend of mine who I used to always try to convince for him to come to church. Now, he grew up in the church. We grew up, had pretty similar upbringing, I suppose, when it comes to church and faith and all of that. And I kept trying to convince him. I said, why don't you come to church? Not this church, but this is a conversation that I had before. I said, why don't you come to church? And he says, because I don't think they would accept me i can't give you all the details but i'm like but yeah they have to accept you he goes really if they knew what i have done and what i do would they i said i would make them i said i will kick them out before they kick you out this is one of my best friends and and i fear as a whole not and I haven't gotten this at this church, which I'm thankful for. I have not received this in this church, but in general, people are afraid to come to church because they feel like they have to clean themselves up before they can even walk in to the church. Because once we come into this place, this is the place where you're supposed to have your, your life together and be clean, And the reality is is, are any of you really clean and pure and without sin? And to the people that judge, what does Jesus say? Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And Jesus was like, go for it. And Jesus was the one that could throw the stone, and Jesus chooses not to. Because God does not hold your sins and trespasses against you. Grace is Christianity's greatest gift to the world. It is the greatest gift that we have, and so the question we have to wrestle with is, is it just for me, or are we giving it to the world? Today, if you ask people that are not Christians to tell you what is a Christian like, most of the time, the responses that I've gotten or the responses that I've heard, even just talking to people, you know, when they find out that I'm a pastor, it's never a positive thing. Rarely, nowadays, when we say that we're a Christian, Is it a positive thing? It's usually filled with a list of negative things. And that's painful to me because I don't think I'm that way. And I don't think you guys are that way. And so I think that it's time for us to recapture what grace looks like in this world because this is who God is calling us to be. So to understand this a little more deeply, I want you to open your Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew chapter 23. Matthew chapter 23 uh, verse 1 through 4. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees. A scribe and a Pharisee was like an ancient pastor. They knew the Bible. They read the Bible. They know what it said. The scribes and the Pharisees, they sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. So that's like Jesus saying, I don't want to use an analogy because it might come back to haunt me. Um they know what they're saying, so do it, but don't follow their example because they're not doing what they're teaching. In essence, Jesus says, Practice what you preach. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. By the way, for those of you who are in the young adult class this morning, Remember what we talked about, yoke, heaviness? You guys missed a good conversation in there today. This is where it ties in. Sorry, side conversation. They lay heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. And so Jesus says, beware. There are people who are going to put All kinds of rules and regulations and heaviness and you're supposed to do this and you're not supposed to do that and you have to keep doing this because if you do these things right, then you're going to be in. Then you'll be okay and then Jesus will approve of your faith. The reason that Christians have a hard time, or non Christians have a hard time relating to grace, is because I have a fear that this is still a picture that is painted. That if you're going to be a Christian, you're going to be against a lot of things. And if you're going to be a Christian, then you have to stay away from certain things. And if you touch one of those things, then you're not really a good Christian. And we use words like, well, he's probably a backslidden Christian. I don't even know what that means. Because if they mean that he's a sinner, oops, so am I. In essence, we're all backslidden Christians if we want to get technical. I fear that the reason people don't give Jesus a chance is because sometimes as Christians, we give people too many rules to follow, and they feel like if I have to follow all of those before I come to church, I'm not ready for that. And so what happens is we perpetuate a cycle of ungrace to the world. And Jesus says, be very careful that you do not tie heavy burdens on people, and then you don't help them. In essence, if you're going to give people some rules, walk alongside them. But even then, it is a very touchy subject. There's this one pastor that I was reading in the newspaper this week, on on the internet newspaper, who was always uh, preaching you know, the the Christian conservative right, you know, anti-homosexual, um, no on abortion, like all of those bad things, right? Like all of the stuff you're supposed to stay away from according to the Christian right. And then he gets caught, and I have to read how I wrote it because I don't want to say it the wrong way. Preaching, al- al- always preaching against homosexuality, he was caught and arrested for doing some public acts of indecency which means that everything he said goes out the window. He may have been right on some stuff. He may have had some good stuff to say at some point, but when the person who was preaching then goes against his word and does the opposite thing, what happens? Like, oh, maybe it wasn't right. Maybe he was wrong. It it is said that, you know, we often prepare, like, people ask me how often, how long, how many hours a week do I plan prepare my sermon, and I'll give them a certain number of hours but the reality is, and this is what we were taught from the very beginning in seminary, when it comes to preaching, it's crafted over a lifetime. Because what people will ultimately come away with is who you are and how you've treated them. It's not about what you say with your mouth, but about what you say by the way you are living and treating them. And so we go on to the next verse, okay? I'll skip through these because it was a mess up. John chapter 1, verse 14. Okay, we're at church, so we're going to look at a couple of Bible verses this morning so we can get an idea and then close with something good. John chapter 1. And the word became flesh means Jesus became human, and he dwelt or lived among us, and we have seen God's glory, glory as the Son from the Father. So God's glory, his honor, God's awesomeness is found in the fact that Jesus came to this earth when he didn't have to full of grace and truth. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is a very powerful text. It says all of God, the entirety, the essence of who God is, was poured or was found into Jesus as a human being right so Jesus as a human being just like you and me but slightly different because he was also God but in this one person the fullness of God the awesomeness of God was found in Jesus and and part of what that is is, is that Jesus was full the awesomeness of God okay the, the the essence of God what makes God who he is is grace and truth and from this fullness you and I have received grace upon grace so from this text it is easy to see that God is full of grace overflowing with grace and will continue to pour grace and forgiveness and love into your life the law came through Moses grace and truth came through Jesus look at Romans chapter 4 we're going to keep going we're going to keep going on this one I want to say this wait for the promise now i'm going to give you a little bit of context in a moment but we're going somewhere here for the promise to abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith well why was the promise fulfilled in abraham was it because he did all of the right things and followed the law Is that why Abraham was promised to be the father of all nations, that God would be with him and would bless him and would give him everything he needed? Did God do this because Abraham was a good, faithful follower of God? What does the text say? It's because he had faith. So you see, when you give people a list of what it means to be a good Christian or a good follower of Jesus, I give you permission to use this Bible verse that says that all it takes is faith, because if you don't believe in Jesus, what does it matter that you do what you're doing if you're following all the commandments and doing everything the Bible says? If you don't believe in Jesus, then maybe you have found a way that, a good way to live your life, because, you know, it's a good way to live your life, but you're not doing it because you have faith in Jesus. For, now this is kind of wordy, so I'll break it down in a minute. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs of all this promise, the eternal life too, then faith is null and the promise is void. So if all it takes is for you to do the right things all of the time, then you don't have to have faith because then we could all get access to it because we could do the right things all the time. For the law brings wrath, but, but, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So the reason that we know we're sinning is because there is a law there. There's the, there's the laws of Moses, the Ten Commandments, all sorts of stuff. Verse 16, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, which is us. God moving in your life, God giving you eternal life, God giving you the most abundant life that Jesus talks about is not at ever at any point dependent on how good you are, but on how or on whether or not rather you have faith. Faith isn't always easy to have, is it? Hey, when things go pretty rough, is it really easy to be like, oh, God, thank you that you gave me this burden? Do we say those kinds of things? When things look bleak and hope is gone, do you say, like, oh, Jesus, thank you so much for everything that you're doing for me right now? Sometimes it's hard but that's what you need. That's what the scriptures say that for God to continue to fulfill promises or the promise of salvation, of eternal life, of being in connection with God is for you to have faith, not for you to be perfect. Perhaps the reason that the world is devoid of grace is because we, you and I, have lost faith in Jesus. Perhaps the reason that the world doesn't understand grace is because we don't understand grace. Because we are still trying to earn God's approval. In any relationship, we do things to try to earn the approval of the other person. When we mess up, when I, when I very rarely do something to hurt Kim, why do you laugh? <laughs> She's the first one to laugh. <laughs> Yeah, she's married. If you ask him, there's like a string of really good days that come after I do something not so great. I don't buy her flowers and that kind of stuff because I know it's a cliche, but I'm on my best behavior. You know, I do all of the right things and say all of the right things. But that's not how it works with God. Because then you would just be manipulating God to think, oh, he gets it. He's good now. I'll continue to bless him. no. That's a false gospel. That's a heresy to say that you could be good enough to earn God's favor. That's, that's wrong. And we continue. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested or shown. So we see how God is righteous apart from the what? The law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to God's righteousness and greatness. So there's something in the law. In the first five books of the Bible, there is something there that is pointing to the goodness and the righteousness of God. Okay, that's what the law is. When you look at the law in the Bible, it's the first five books of the Bible. That and the prophets, so the rest of the Old Testament, points to the righteousness, the goodness, and the grace of God. So it's there so that we could learn. Bears witness to the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many of you have heard that last verse, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? to how many of you has that been used to show you that you're a sinner? To how many of you have they read the first few verses before that that are kind of like the important part of this passage of Scripture is not the part that says you're a sinner. The important part of this is that God's righteousness is manifested in God from beginning until end. God is righteous. We are sinners, Can, we, can you guys, Doug, can you push the, the button? Oh, there it is. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We hear this, and then the next verse I hardly ever hear is, and we are justified by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So we hear that one verse that sounds really good, like we're all sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God, but that's not the point of that text. The point of it is God is awesome. God is full of grace and truth. God is righteous and he wants to forgive you. God's righteousness and his goodness is manifested. It comes out because he forgives you even though you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God because, by the way, we are justified by God's grace. Always start with this text. Always Because this is true before we're even born. So before you even sinned, this is true. The death of Jesus on the cross is the ultimate trump card in this world. Nothing can compete with the death of Jesus. Your worst sin does not even compete with the magnitude of God's death on a cross and so you cannot beat yourself up for that kind of stuff because when you do you miss out on a relationship with jesus now jesus says eternal life is that you would know god and him whom he has sent eternal life is not a future thing that we then we enter into it it begins here and will continue you we may physically die but we will be awakened in the great resurrection when God will make all things new. Here's the point. We are not programmed to receive grace because this world is so full of ungrace, okay? So the world around us doesn't allow us to be like, oh, I didn't do this today or I messed up here. That's okay, I'm forgiven. That's not the way we live. As a result, we also are slow to give grace, However, it is in this time that God is calling you to be an agent of grace in this world. I would sum it up with these two words: grace always. Somebody does something bad to you, grace. I was watching um I was watching something, I don't know what it was this week. It was a I don't know, some guy was talking about how his son or I think it was his son had been murdered by somebody else and he says I know that I have the right to hate this person, but I can't bring myself to hate them. I'm sorry. I don't think I would act like that. I would be very angry, and I may hate. To sum up this morning's text, and I could keep go- I mean I could keep going for like five hours today, but I won't. To sum up today is God has more than an abundance of grace. God never runs out of grace and forgiveness. I'll say this, God will not shut the door on his grace. He has so much of it, and he can't get rid of it fast enough. He has so much of it, that he can't even contain it. And so I'll give you one last illustration of this. It's kind of a weird illustration, but you'll see what I mean. A couple of, about a month ago or so, we have our laundry room. It's upstairs. And so Kim was the one that was in charge of getting these installed when the movers came, and she took the tray. <laughs> I I, for, I took the tray out because I didn't know. The overflow tray. I know, I know. But it didn't fit. And so I thought we would be fine, because why is anything going to spill over? And so a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, Kim and I were just, you know, we were hanging out. The kids were doing whatever they were doing. And all of a sudden, you know, Gavin, the youngest, he runs up. He goes, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. He goes, it's happening again, a story that we'll share later. <laughs> and so he was freaking out, you know, because before... At, where, at Kim's house, the pipe burst, and there was water everywhere. No one was there. But this little kid he was just freaking out. like, We got to go. He's, like, grabbing us. We got to go. And so we come downstairs, and there was water coming down from the ceiling. And just, like, well, it was actually coming down from, two, like, a, a fire sprinkler and a light. And I was just kind of like, oh, okay, so, I, you know, whatever. Right? <laughs> what am I going to do? Stop it? I put the stuff. I put the stuff to catch the water. Go upstairs. There's water in the laundry room everywhere. Apparently, we need that drain thing, that, the thing we need overflow. I would say it this way. When I think of God's grace, it's like the washer machine that keeps pumping out water and it just goes everywhere. And even if we try to contain it, it's going to overflow your bucket too. And that's what's good news about the gospel of Jesus is that he will continue to forgive you. He will continue to love you. And some of you I know are thinking in your mind, but there has to come a point where you have to stop doing that sin. You should stop sinning cuz it's destructive and unhealthy. There's things you got to stay away from, but just cuz you stop one, it's like a leaky boat. Then, you, know, uh, you know, like those cartoons where they put the th- the toe in one hole, but then another one pops up. That's you. That's me. We may think we're not sitting over here, and I may stop this really bad habit, but guess what? There's something that all of a sudden springs from over here, and God's grace is just like, I got a bucket that's never going to run out for you. You may have, you may just be a hole, you know, a boat with one big hole. My grace is enough for you, and there's nothing anyone can say or do that will change that. There's nothing anyone can ever say or do. And Jesus is just like, there is nothing that will separate you. There's nothing that will make me love you even less. You're already a conqueror. Get over it because it hurts God more than it hurts you, that pain that you're going through. If you have children, you know that's true. When your son or daughter are going through something difficult, it breaks your heart more than it breaks their heart because there's nothing you can do to make it any better. And God's just like, I got this. I got this. Let me have this. Let me do this for you because it's going to go a lot better if I do it. And if you try to do it yourself. Grace is knowing that God will never stop and God's love will never run out. And now that gives you the power and the strength to pour out your grace unto other people. If we can do that, the world will be a better place. If we can do this, people will see Jesus for who he is, and they will come to him, and they will have a relationship. And so that's my prayer for you this morning, that that would be real. In therapy, I'm landing the plane. I'm landing the plane, honey. In therapy, they tell you, you have to keep repeating this to yourself because it's not going to feel real for a long time, but you have to know that it's real repeat it to yourself. God's grace is never running out. He's got more than enough. As we think about this, I invite you to open up your hymnals as we come to a close in our service this morning, and I invite you to sing with me hymn number 462, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine.
1: This is mine oh what a foretaste of glory divine air of salvation purchase of God of his spirit washed in his blood This is my story this is my song
0: Oh God, we are thankful for the assurance that you have given us this morning. We are thankful that your grace is never ending. And God, our prayer is that our gratitude would never end either. Continue your work in us. We await your presence and we await your spirit. We love you. Amen.